sportsgrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. Sportsgrid.com. And happy Tuesday. Welcome to Fantasy Sports Today on Sports Grid. Two hours of fantasy sports talk a little bit later in the show. We're going to take a look at the Heisman Trophy Award odds, also the odds to win the NFL MVP. Recapping a little Monday night football and tons of activity on the NBA front as we get ready for the draft tomorrow night. Some teams preparing for the future, some teams preparing to win now. I'm Craig Mish along with Joe Pizzapia. That's what you got here on Sports Grid. Follow me on Twitter at Craig Mish. Follow Joe on Twitter at Joe Pizzapia17. Follow us on Twitter at SportsGrid and also at our website, SportsGrid.com. Tells you everything that's going on with us, with our company, with our shows, all the different places that you could watch us. And Joe, it's going to be a very, very big holiday season coming up, I know, for us. Bowl games are going to be back. NFL playoffs are going to be back. Thanksgiving Day football is kind of back next Thursday. Mm -hmm. And so looking forward to all of it. What's going on? (laughs) Well, a car just went by my house and it was purple and in the driver's seat was the Minnesota Vikings. That's right. That's three in a row in case you're keeping score at home for those Minnesota Vikings. They beat Green Bay. They beat Detroit. They beat the Bears. Now they are right in the thick of that division again. Are they going to catch the Packers? Probably not. But can they backdoor into the playoffs? They might be able to. And this is becoming a fun story to follow, at least for me. I know everybody else is out there saying, what are you, crazy? It's stupid. I should have wore a purple tie today. I'll tell you what, if they win next week, I will win the purple tie. I will wear it, and I will have it on Monday for you guys. But uh, look, the Bears are not going in the right direction, Craig. And I think after last night, I think uh, that hot start in terms of win total is starting to fade into distant memory. Yeah, no, it really is. And and look, I, I think that, uh, look, the Bears, it was one of the worst Monday night games of the year for sure. It was, I, I watched the fourth quarter of it and just was a disaster of a game. The Bears looked awful. The good news today for them is that Nick Foles probably could be healthy to play in a couple of weeks, but you know, certainly we'll keep an eye on the Vikings and, and I would not expect them to do much. But that was Kirk Cousins' first win on Monday Night Football and they continue to play well on Monday Night Football. Uh, although they've never really played well at, on the road, they did play well uh, at home. So uh, Vikings definitely back in this thing. We'll see. Next Monday night, of course, is the big game between the Bucks and Rams. And so we would expect, Joe, obviously, for you to give us your pick so we could bet against you going into Monday night because that's been very consistently happening. So if you wouldn't mind sending that over for everybody so we can all make some money next week. So uh, hopefully the Vikings make the playoffs <laughs> for you. But got to offset all those Rams losses over the last eight years. So we'll continue that trend going into Monday Absolutely. Night. All right, so here we go. Here are the headlines for today. As Joe mentioned, he's all in on the Vikings win streak uh, on Monday Night Football. Uh, hopefully he'll cash in that $1 bet for $1.50 at the end of the season. Drew Brees <laughs> suffered multiple broken ribs and a collapsed lung. My gosh, Drew Brees is going to be out for a period of time. I, and, and there's another conversation we have to have here with Taysom Hill, which we're going to do very quickly. Uh, Miami Dolphins released Jordan Howard. He was horrible. Drew Smiley signs a one-year deal with the Atlanta Braves. Braves two years in a row, making the first strike in free agency by signing players early. Last year it was Will Smith. This year it's Drew Smiley, two left-handed pitchers. Great trade for the Milwaukee Bucks if you're planning on signing Giannis because they basically mortgage their entire future for next season under the assumption that Giannis is going to sign that, I think they're calling it the double max contract. I don't even know what they're at. $50 million at this point is the number. They also got Bogdanovich from Sacramento. So uh, mm-hmm. Bucks are all in. 
they better have it. Uh, and finally, the Rockets uh, send Robert Covington to Portland. So we're going to have to see exactly what happens with uh, the Rockets and what their plan is moving forward. But let's hit Taysom Hill here for a minute because that's going to be the big fantasy topic of the week. I noticed that Matthew Berry yesterday of ESPN posted that Taysom Hill now qualifies at quarterback and tight end in ESPN leagues. Now, I don't know what Yahoo is doing, but on CBS, he only qualifies as a quarterback. So this has never come up in the history of fantasy football where you have had a player qualify at quarterback and another offensive position. I suppose the question is, is Taysom Hill a startable player at any position in fantasy this week? I would think, Hmm. Joe, that if he qualifies at tight end, He's the hottest pickup in the history of fantasy football, being a quarterback and playing tight end this week. But I I don't know where to go with this one. I have no money left in any of my fab budgets, but I think a lot of people (laughs) out there are thinking the next two weeks I'm picking up Hill and starting them. Well, look, I I think that a lot of desperation sometimes calls for desperate measures. And I think it's safe to assume that Taysom Hill is going to be more involved in this offense, however that might be, whether it is throwing the ball, whether he's going to get a couple – Uh, you know, snaps a quarterback or maybe more than he normally would or whether or not they're just going to go with Winston and utilize Hill in that different kind of gimmicky role. But the one thing is for sure, the the dual qualification is fascinating in super flex leagues, potentially, especially with people who are, you know, had injuries to quarterbacks. I know I've had injuries to quarterbacks in some of my super flex leagues and you're trying to look for that third guy on a roster. Well, maybe the next couple weeks, Taysom Hill can be that guy. If you are also playing on FanDuel, it's something we pointed out last week on the show too. At $4,500, Taysom Hill was at tight end and I thought, well, you know, now that Michael Thomas is back, you might see even more Taysom Hill because you can really open up the offense and do a lot more things when he's not. Now, now he just might be touching the football more. And at a min salary at tight end, if he is that indeed this week on FanDuel, we'll have to check on that. That becomes a more intriguing play at tight end than it does at quarterback. And whether or not he's eligible on both spots, there's a lot to unpack here. But I think the um, the thing you should look at first and foremost is the scoring in your league how that dictates, and also be realistic of what kind of roster you've got right now. If you can take a risk on a guy like Taysom Hill for the next few weeks because you think there might be some fantasy upside, then you go ahead and you take it right now. But if you are somebody fighting for your life, I think a guy like Winston probably is the smarter investment if you're looking to kind of get a hold of part of that New Orleans situation. All right. Well, coming up next, we've got some very big breaking news in Major League Baseball, potentially changing the landscape of the general manager position in both Chicago and maybe even New York. I'll give you those details when we come back next right here on Fantasy Sports Today. Don't go away. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. All right, welcome back to Fantasy Sports Today. So let's get to our our big story here uh, of the day, which definitely is not the Vikings and the Bears. Thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> Bailed out of that. Wow. Wow. It is it is hard to knock out 10 minutes on that football game last night. So we ain't going to do it here on this show. We're going to move on from that. Maybe we'll use it later. I don't know. All right. So, so the uh, look, the guy who has built, changed, and won at two of the most iconic franchises in the history of Major League Baseball 
in the Boston Red Sox and Chicago Cubs, no doubt, Joe, is Theo Epstein. Uh, Theo Epstein has resigned as president of baseball operations of the Chicago Cubs, which means Jed Hoyer takes over there. Um, writing on the wall, Joe, very clearly, the Cubs, I think, are headed towards somewhat of a rebuild, maybe tinkering at the very least of changing some things around. And so Theo did not want to stay on board with that. Now, I had heard that about a month ago and had heard that the Mets would come calling. Now, there are some reports today that saying that, that he is not interested in taking the Mets job or the uh, Phillies job. But first, I'd like to go to you for your thoughts on um, <laughs> on Theo Epstein here, because in, in our last, what would you say, 30 years, he's been the best general manager slash president in baseball. I think that's probably fair to say. I mean, he's probably, I, I would say, Joe, that, if you were to say, give me a general manager or a president that could be in the in the Hall of Fame uh, after we put Sheer, uh, Sherholtz in from Atlanta, I would mm-hmm. say problem is Theo Epstein at the top. Is that is that fair? I don't. How is he not? I mean, when you just consider what be. he was able to do in Boston, um, look, you know, <laughs> I know some people don't remember the, the Red Sox of the 80s and 90s as well as some other people do, but I do, and I remember. Also, the Red Sox of the 90s and the early 2000s, where, you know, they still struggled to get over that hump with the Yankees. And what he was able to do and build that team and eventually surpass the Yankees, let's be honest, because they did. They've won three titles in the last 20 plus years. Right. And then go to Chicago and get a championship for the Cubs, a team that was the previous uh you know longest streak without a championship so when you go to the Boston Red Sox win championships there again plural then you go and you get the Cubs over the hump too I mean I don't know if there's a greater feat in the history of baseball front office than that I really don't and that's before he goes anywhere else and God knows what he's capable of if somebody gives him free reign and 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 I think it's it's, you know he also kind of represents for me Craig I don't know about you uh, agree or not but that new regime of baseball people that came in, the people that were the analytic people, the people that saw the game a little bit differently and how they were able to incorporate into a bigger umbrella this new looking of baseball. And baseball used to be, you know, general managers usually were either ex-players or, you know, ex-folks that kind of had connections to baseball. Right. And Theo Epstein was more of an outsider type. And I think that was what was so different. And I think that kind of changed the culture of Major League Baseball front offices. And then everybody was kind of looking for the next Theo Epstein type guy and picking people off that staff. And for me, wherever he goes next, I think it's it's I don't think he has to go anywhere if he doesn't want to. But if he should go to the Mets or we should go to another team and does it again. I mean, we're talking about, I mean, putting him maybe in that elite to ever do the job in a front office in Major League Baseball. And I, and I think the thing that you could take away, too, is, you know, yes, he did inherit some good pieces in Boston. But what he was able to do, especially in Chicago, was build an organization around position players, players in their system that played every day and then went out there and purchased pitching. And I think that was kind of the smarter way to go about things nowadays in terms of where's your investment in? What, what is it? Is it the guys who were out there every fifth day or the guys that are out there every day? So for me, I think that culturally also changed because the notion was always, well, you have to grow your own pitching, pitching wins, pitching wins. Yeah, you know what wins? Proven pitching, pitching that is actually worth investing in that you know what you're getting as opposed to young pitching that tends to get hurt young pitching that tends to you know have a failure rate that's much higher so what are your thoughts on theo epstein in terms of you know what his legacy is if this is indeed the end of it and what could potentially be on the horizon for him what if i told you that he 
would join uh, the president-elect Joe Biden's cabinet and go into politics. It wouldn't shock me whatsoever. I yeah, mean, I think that's. You know, a I think he's the kind of guy that could do anything. I, I feel like he's that kind of guy. He could go into business. He can go into you know a non-sports business. He could go into yeah. politics. He could do a something. Lot of I've heard things. something. I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, uh, I I don't know. Look. Okay. There's a couple of things here. Um. Okay. There's a lot. Of, I'm getting text here. So there's a lot of things here. Okay. The first thing, that, as you mentioned, is is the notion of his legacy. His legacy is a winner. Uh, right. The, the, the Red Sox never won anything. The Cubs never won anything. And he brought two World Series home there. I think that in terms of what he can do in the future, I think that, Joe, if if I'm thinking this through, unless the Mets, right, forget Philadelphia, okay, unless the Mets come through with just some gargantuan, I give you a piece of the team Billy Bean offer, like, I, I think that's impossible. the only possible way impossible. that they can lure him. Yeah, and, and very possible and plausible. I think that's the only way that you get him to New York. I don't think that you can get him to New York otherwise, because as I'm thinking it through, he's at the, he's, Joey, he hit the top of the mountain. He, he accomplished Twice. everything that he possibly could have with two different teams. So mm-hmm. it, it's like, what's left? And, and what's left well, and for Phil just- Jackson? Well, a lot of money, not right? Bill Jackson, teams. run the Knicks. We'll give you everything. Here you go. Yeah, well, well, Bill that Parcell, didn't work out. We'll give you everything. Here, take a piece of the team. Here, own the Dolphins if you want. Like, like yeah. that's that's the only thing that I could see left because if I'm a Major League Baseball team and I'm an organization, he's the name you should start with. There is no other. He's he's done mm-hmm. it. He's rebuilt two franchises. Now he's had money, okay. I mean that's a little different. Like you know, building it with with money in in Boston and building it with money in Chicago, he was able to sign free agents, make trades. They also had very good farm systems. But to me, that's the only way that he continues is is that somebody gives him a piece of a team where he is ownership. And you're right. I think that that is realistic. That's the only way I think the Mets can get him. I, I think otherwise he's headed for mm-hmm. other things. I don't know what those are. I mentioned the politics. That's what I heard. I tweeted it out just in case it happens. Got to be on the safe. <laughs> Got to make sure I cover myself when they announce that. Um, so that's where that's it. So that so that's that's where I stand on it. And and as far as legacy is concerned, he doesn't have to be a president or general manager for another day, and he could probably end up in the baseball hall of fame. But. Uh, I'm I'm not sure that he's done because he's so young, right? Like he could still come back, Joe, in ten years from now, easily, to who knows what to an expansion franchise and build them too, right? So I, I wouldn't say it's over for him, but it does seem, at least from the the people who are reporting, who by the way know just as much as me, but according to the people who are reporting, they're saying that he's out on Philadelphia and New York. I would say, Joe, if you're Steve Cohen, the owner of the Mets, I got to make that call just to be sure. I, I got to make that I, I, I would certainly agree. And, and you know, you mentioned that, yes, he did walk into places that spent money and had uh, a lot of cachet, but they didn't have a lot of championships. They didn't have a lot of hardware, didn't have a lot of rings. So you could have all the money. I mean, the Mets have proven that. But, you know, they've had money to spend. They haven't spent it all the time, but they've always had high payroll. They're not the bottom of payroll. Money doesn't win necessarily. It's what you do with that money. It's how you spend that money. It's how you develop the talent. It's how it's 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 a trickle down effect. And then Hoyer, I'm sure, is going to you know 
uh, he look, he's got a tough job here ahead of him because now he has the rebuilding of the Cubs in the aftermath. And I can understand how that is not nearly as fun as saying, okay, here's the keys to the castle, build it up and have success. Now it's the tearing it down and redoing it. And sometimes that's like, you know, it's tough. It's like when you ask the kids here, build this Lego house and they do it. And then you say, okay, oh, it fell on the floor. Now you're going to rebuild it. Uh, well, it was really fun the first time. And I really admired it. It looked really cool. But then when it breaks into a million pieces, I don't hope you have the, the stamina to do it again necessarily. And sometimes, you know, after 10 years in a place, you start to wear a little bit and you start to look for new horizons for you but i'll say this wherever he goes whatever he does i think theo epstein knows exactly what he's doing and you mentioned the idea of maybe a expansion franchise at some point i mean that to me and part of an ownership group for a new organization certainly seems like that something makes a lot theo of epstein would be involved yeah. in too yeah 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 and on top of that i mean you think of the pressure that he's had in boston and chicago i i mean wouldn't it be fascinating to see him have less pressure and build something from the ground up, take his time and, and work it through? I mean, that would be interesting, too. But anyway, that's a big story for today, for sure. All right. Chris Kofsky's got the update coming up next. We'll do some fantasy by the numbers coming up. Sorry we skipped over the stat from the game last night, but you didn't miss anything. Trust me. We'll be right back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back. It's time for a little fantasy by the numbers here in 2020. In fact, there are some interesting numbers at quarterback, at running back, and some names that I think that are flying under the radar a little bit. So Joe did his research. We're going to dive into them a little bit and see if we can figure out some interesting numbers that may pique your interest for fantasy football here in 2020 if you're still alive. And by alive, meaning by a thread. That's that's kind of my thing right now. Got to win every game the rest of the season. Good luck to me. Okay, so <laughs> let's get started, Joe. And let's, uh, and let's start off with Russell Wilson of the Seattle mm -hmm. Seahawks who uh, you promised you would not be a prisoner of the moment, but here we are leading off with this. You're off Seattle now. You're done with Seattle. Russell not Wilson's bad. He's struggling. It's Seattle. terrible. Things are falling apart. Russell Wilson's thrown 10 interceptions this season. My gosh, he had 11 all last year. See, in 16 and 17, he struggled so much, but he's got 10 interceptions. So, Joe, are you concerned with Russell Wilson moving forward? I am not burning down the house of the Seattle Seahawks. Yes, Everybody you are. take a deep yes, breath. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. It's not what's happening. What's happening here is I'm pointing out what's going on and more importantly, what's going on since they've had a little bit of chaos in the backfield. And that is something we have to understand here. He is on pace to shatter any previous standard that he's set for interceptions in a season, which the high watermark for him was 11 twice and 10 once. He's already got 10, and we're just 10 weeks through the season. So he's going to go well past that number, most likely. And, and here's the thing. Russell Wilson, I feel like, is trying to now do too much. And I think when you're down to DJ Dallas and you're down to Alex Collins and, and now Tyler Lockett's dealing with an injury, there's a lot to unpack here and a lot to worry about a little bit or at least be aware of when it comes to to Russell Wilson and the Seattle offense right now. They've been put under a lot of pressure in the first couple weeks of the season. It's been really fun. And the last couple of weeks, it hasn't been as fun. And I think the biggest difference between what you saw in the first seven, eight weeks and what you've seen the last three or so is the difference of the health of Chris Carson. And I think that's what you're seeing here. 
you're seeing Russell Wilson press a little bit. He's got seven turnovers in his last two games. And you can't score fantasy points or reality points if you keep turning the football over. And that's just something that's going to take its toll on DK Metcalf. It's going to take its toll on Russell Wilson. It's going to take its toll, obviously, on any other peripheral piece that you might be looking at. So it's not that everything is over. It's just showing you the impact, I think, of what's the recent trend of the injuries to that backfield. Now, if Chris Carson can be healthy enough to go, if Hyde and those guys are healthy enough to go, I think that changes things dramatically here for them in the second half. The problem is we have a short week, and the problem is that seems unlikely right now. So either Alex Collins and DJ Dallas are going to have to step up. Also, we're dealing with an injury to Tyler Lockett, like I said, too. So there's a lot of injuries around here, and it's starting to show, I think, and wear a little bit on Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson's still a top-five quarterback in reality and fantasy. I'm not worried about him. He's never coming out of my lineup. But I think what you have to understand is right now there's some limitations because of what's going on in that running game, because of what's happening to the offense, because of that, that you have to build your lineup accordingly around it. Russell Wilson's no longer the guy you're like, oh, this guy could get me 30 points this week. Might not be that guy. He might be that guy to get you 18 points this week. And that is something you have to make, maybe look for a little bit more upside in your flex spot, your wide receiver uh, three spots, those kind of spots. That's all I'm saying here with Russell Wilson. Well, look, the running back point is well taken, and they're not able to run the ball like they used to. Although I would say that even when Carlos Hyde was healthy and Chris Carson was healthy, neither of those two running backs were all that inspiring. Um, That's number one. Number two is he leads the NFL in touchdown passes. And that's also very important to note that he's on pace to shatter his career high in touchdown passes and to lead the NFL. The third thing that I would add to the reason why he has these interceptions and probably more than he's had in the past is because their defense stops no one. So he's always (laughs) going to be forced into a position to have to keep throwing to keep his team ahead and keep his team winning. So um, I, I am not concerned in the slightest bit at all with Russell Wilson. To me, two weeks ago, he was the clear cut MVP. His defense can't stop anyone, so he's constantly throwing. Did he look horrible throwing the ball last week in the end zone? Absolutely. That was the worst game I've seen him play. Uh, But I am not worried at all moving forward, and I do uh, understand that the running back thing is is a thing. They, They can't run the ball. That's definitely true. But they really didn't run the ball that effectively in the first six games of the season anyway when those guys were healthy. So. My concern they is they had zero to be respected. The problem was the differences that defenses had to at least respect what Chris Carson did the previous year, what he's capable of doing. And he did have some touchdowns in there, and he was utilized in good spots there. And you're yeah, right. I mean, getting he the ball in one and, and scoring a touchdown is not saying Seattle, anything, Joe. Seattle's not ground and pound, but what Seattle can at least show you is that if Chris Carson's healthy, they can at least run the football when they want to run the football and pass that off. But I think what's going on right now is just too much pressure on Russell Wilson. And you're right. I'm not worried about him. He's still in the MVP conversation. But I would venture to say ever since the Arizona game, even a few weeks ago, he hasn't quite looked like the same Russell Wilson he did in the first six weeks of the season. I think that's fair. All right. Well, look, we'll agree to disagree on him. I, I think that there pro- there are not more than two or three guys that I'd want, maybe not even two more guys that I'd want over him. I'd want Murray. I'd want Mahomes. Beyond that, Russell Wilson would be my third guy probably. Mm-hmm. And two weeks ago, I would have said Russell Wilson would be my number one guy. So <laughs> things change in the NFL. I don't get caught up in, in, in one or two weeks. 
Okay, now uh, let's move on to the Buccaneers. I thought we were done talking about the Buccaneers running backs. I guess <laughs> not. I guess not. Again, here we go. Um, Ronald Jones, who had a career day last week, Joe. Uh, tell me a little bit about this one here. I'm going to need your expertise here on this. Okay, so this is a deeper stat called you know EFF or efficiency. So basically what this says is who is the best north-south kind of runner in the NFL? And this number here, Ronald Jones, 3.16, that number – means he's leading the league. He is the most efficient of all running backs. And and that is You know I read that, this completely wrong. I'm sorry to cut you off. You see what you wrote there good. in that graphic? Can you read uh, that? Go. Can we put the graphic up one more time? <laughs> one more time. Can we put that up there? <laughs> it's the efficiency of not F off Ronald Jones. I know what I thought I thought you meant F off Ronald Jones. That's what it says. F off well, Ronald Jones. Look, I, 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 it's the efficiency of Ronald Jones. There's, there's one extra F there for you in case you want to buy a vowel somewhere else. I don't know, but you can't buy a consonance here on the program. We'll play Jeopardy later in the week. We're not playing Wheel of Fortune today, Bish. But yes, that's very funny. Well done. I, I enjoyed that quite a bit. But yes, that's, that's how I read it. That's why I stopped. I stopped and, and was it's like, not, let me get this over And again. it's not just because yeah, of the one. of the 98-yard rush that he had and that one giant one. He was actually towards the top five in this category before this past week so i think what's really telling is that ronald jones fumbled the ball in this past week's game too and then they went back to ronald jones for the first time typically when he fumbles the ball early you don't see Ro- rojo very much rest of the game and i think this is a good sign here that they went back to him and i know they had to because of how embarrassing they were the week before not running the football at all but i think it at least portends well going forward that those people have ronald jones you just need to be starting him every week now. I mean, if they're going to go back to him, if he struggles, that is a big difference of what you saw in week two and week three. All right, let's uh, move off the uh, F of Ronald Jones to the catch percentage of Cole Beasley in 2020. And this is a very high number and not surprising because Beasley now for two years has been that plug-and-play guy in, in PPR leagues. What's really interesting, Joe, is that this is the second year in a row that Cole Beasley started very slow and picked up Mm -hmm. and got real hot in the second half of the season. Because I remember us talking about him last year and, and, and honestly pushing to make a thing, but he was not. And he really was only getting seven, eight points, three cat. And then all of a sudden he just like caught fire in the second half. So I'm not sure if this can be maintained because Diggs is so good and playing so great. They also have John Brown too, but Beasley seems to be a big second half guy. He is. And I think at full point PPR, I think you just have to recognize this is just a good guy to have on your squad to draft, even going into next year, even with those other names around 82%. The only guy with a higher catch rate than him is Curtis Samuel, and he's not seeing as many targets necessarily in the offense as Cole Beasley. So Beasley's is actually more impressive when you look at the number of targets and catches. So for me, Beasley is one of these guys. I think he's a must have on your bench and and moving forward here to the next one. uh, Look, in terms of passing yards, uh, 1780 six okay this is the next number here and this is the amount of passing yards that the baltimore ravens uh right now they're the third worst in the nfl in terms of passing yards and this is something that has to change dramatically soon and you keep talking about like where is this lamar jackson let's open up and let the guy just go through and and do his job go throw the ball deep to marquise brown just keep running mark andrews and see you got to do something because I don't think you can live here at third worst this year with how inefficient your running game has been this year and be a true Super Bowl contender, Craig. And I think that number of 1786 is a little unsettling right now. Yeah, yeah, that's a big surprise for me. I thought a few weeks ago that this was completely going to change. I can't look at last week's game, but 
And basically, if the if the Ravens don't get right offensively in the next week or two, I, I can't have confidence. I'll have to change my opinion on that. Uh, that's for sure, because my opinion thus far has looked horrible on the Ravens. All right, finally, fantasy points per game given up to tight ends. This is always something that seems to be trendy each year. It's kind of like the thing that starts and it rolls out the whole year and then you throw it away and then there's another team next year. But this <laughs> year it's the Falcons, Joe. The Falcons are the team that seems to be getting beat up. They really are. They're definitely getting beat up. The linebackers do not cover tight ends very well. And it's something to be aware of in DFS and FanDuel for the next couple of weeks because they're going to have Cook twice. Jared Cook, they're going to play again. So he's going to have two matchups against them. They're going to have Kelsey, Darren Waller, Gronk, and Hunter Henry. So you're getting some pretty darn good tight ends there and some pretty good matchups. And I think all of those matchups are worth paying up for just a slight amount if you have to even. But to recognize that the Falcons are struggling mightily this year against the tight end and what you have here in these last few weeks, those are some pretty good tight end plays. And we're always looking for the tight end with touchdown upside. All these guys have that potentially. All these guys, you know, we'll see what happens here with – with Jared Cook and how that may or may not change depending on who's playing quarterback for New Orleans his next few weeks. But look, at least on paper, it's something I think you have to attack these last six weeks of the season for me anyway on FanDuel, Craig. Yeah, and, and I and I think that it, it's definitely something that when it starts, you can just fade it immediately. So this would be a case of definitely playing tight ends against Atlanta. That's a really good point. Um, also, don't use one year to the next because teams obviously recognize mm-hmm where they struggle and then they get that fixed and then it doesn't happen the next year, or at least in most cases, it doesn't happen the next year, that's for sure. All right, coming up, we've got Hot Take Tuesday here on the show, so make sure you stay tuned. We'll find out just how good Kyler Murray is. be a Hall of Famer? Too early for that? I'll tell you next. From the City of Angels to the Big Apple, shake it up with Pharrell Coast to Coast. Shake it up, she do that. All my friends then come around, flats and flats. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. All right, welcome back. Fantasy Sports Today. A little Hot Take Tuesday here on the show. Coming up in our second hour of the program, we're really going to dive into the Kyler Murray investment. Man, a lot of really good sports cards of Kyler Murray are out It seemed that people seem to be gobbling up, and we're going to dive into that with Josh Cohen coming up in about 30 minutes from now, so make sure you stay tuned. That's our second hour of the show. If you're watching on demand, create a playlist over on our YouTube channel, and then as soon as the first hour of the show is over, it takes you right over to the second hour. If you wouldn't mind, please give a big like and subscribe to the show as well, and it'll help you because the show will get sent to you every single day. All right, so let's get started, Joe, with a little Hot Take Tuesday and fire these off one by one, kind of go through them. And uh, you gave a little comp here, so let's dive into this. Kyler Murray is the new Steve Young fantasy or re... Uh, I'm sorry, Hot Take Tuesday. So is this a hot take or not? We'll say fantasy reality for the end. Could actually could be used <laughs> as a fantasy <laughs> Well, look, I, I think he has all the makings of what Steve Young was because this is a, a a strong-willed player. And I think that is the, you know, everyone will just look at the player and say, okay, this is a guy who can run and throw. And, and that combination is not something you see a ton of. And I often wonder what Steve Young would have looked like in this era of the NFL where the quarterback was far more protected. You remember, and I remember very well, the hits that Steve Young took. Kyler Murray's not going to take those kind of hits, not in the backfield and not when he's running the football. It's just not going to happen. Steve Young took a ton of abuse there, and it took a while for Steve Young to really get his chance there 
with the 49ers, obviously played in the USFL, had a lot of success there. And then you know, not so much success with Tampa Bay. And then eventually kind of uh, took over there for the San Francisco 49ers. I think this is a question right. we revisit in two years and we might have a, a better answer, but I'm going to say it's a hot take right now. But I think in terms of comp, this makes the most sense to me of any player that I've thought about with Kyler Murray, because he not only has the ability to run the football incredibly fast, great vision of the field, also a much better passer than say at this stage in his career than I would say, you know, like Lamar Jackson last year, even though Lamar had an all world season last year, I think Kyler Murray as a passer goes through the progressions much better. When you see the reads he makes, it's just a more comfortable uh, quarterback in the pocket. And he's also got that weird other intangible quality, that weird it factor thing that Steve Young has, where he's going to find a way to will the team to a certain level that they didn't think they could get to. And I think that intangible thing is why he reminds me so much of Steve Young. But I think this is a hot take now. However, in a year or two, this might not be a hot take at all. It might be a perfect comp there. And I think that Steve Young would have been so much fun to watch play in 2020 under these rules with what's going on in the NFL. I think he would have been, he would have been the video game guy. <laughs> I think we forget about how good Steve Young was because it was really a short period of time compared to how long of his football career was. So little of it was with San Francisco in that great spot. So a lot of it was kind of, I would say wasted, but a lot of it was not necessarily on the attention of the masses uh, in terms of uh, football. So what do you think about this? You think this is a hot take right now? Well, I mean, there's a couple of things, and and I get the comparison in terms of the player. Again, one's lefty, one's righty, so that's that's a little bit different yeah, for me. There aren't a lot of, you know, I, I would have went with Tua and, and Steve Young, but we're so far away from even making that comparison. Oh, no. Tua would need to do a lot more. Um, look, Murray's the number one pick in the draft, so he's supposed to be a Hall of Famer. Like that's the deal. When you're the number mm -hmm. one pick in the draft, you are supposed to go to Canton. That's why you're taking number one. So I don't think that that's that far fetched. In terms of injuries, yes, uh, Steve Young was roughed up quite a bit, but I would also say that his career was not cut short because of injuries in terms of his body. It was because of his head. He kept getting those concussions. I was at his last game in Tampa when uh, Warren Sapp knocked him out. But I would say that for me, it is not a hot take because I think that's supposed to be the case. I, Kyler Murray, Joe, is supposed to be a Hall of Famer. The number one pick in the draft is supposed to be the best player in the world in college football. And a lot of times it doesn't even come close to working out that way, but that's what's supposed to be. So I'm on board with that. I think it could happen. I would also say there was a five-game stretch last year where Murray was not as good but was close to as good and then completely fell apart in the second half of last year. I don't know why he did. I'm not really sure. Maybe he'll avoid that this year. But definitely have to see the rest of the year play out in order to make that final call, too. But I in think, this day honestly, and age, Craig, honestly, that second half, I think a lot of that had to do with physical for him. And he is a bigger, he's bigger and stronger la this year than last year. You look at the frame of Kyler Murray, it is definitely, I think he wore down physically in the NFL season. I think he recognized that. Yeah, I, mean, sure, I, I don't know the answers to all that. But uh, but I, I would say that this is not a hot take because, again, in my mind, when you're taken first, your trajectory is for take. camp. Supposed mm -hmm. to be. Okay, <laughs> let's move on to the defensive end, defensive tackle position. T.J. Watt will pass J.J. Watt for best all-time Watt. Wow, never thought that would even be in a conversation, but here we are. So uh, I'll start with this one. Um, I will say that this is a hot take. J.J. Watt is so well-established. He's been NFL Defensive Player of the Year. 
Now, look, if we're just talking about on the field, I, I guess you have to give that 10 or 20% chance that TJ Watt becomes better. I, I don't think so. I, I really don't. And also, J.J. Watt off the field, probably the one of the biggest humanitarians in the NFL right. period, maybe of all time. Uh, I know that's not part of this NFL conversation, but it needs to be said. We don't talk about it enough. NFL Man of the Year as well. Uh, I'll, I'll say it's a hot take. I, I don't see it. I see T.J. Watt being really good. I don't see him being as dominant as his brother. Don't see it. This is just my opinion. Yeah, here's the thing. I think this is a hot take too, but here's the only difference and the caveat I'll give you. I mean, he's playing for an organization, the Pittsburgh Steelers, that I think are going to constantly surround him with much better talent. And if he stays healthier than his brother, he has a chance, I think, to at least get statistically close to him because that's been the undoing of JJ. I mean, JJ is like one of my favorite players in the NFL. If you ask me, like, who's the first non-Patriot jersey you'd want to buy that you respect that player of? Right. It's JJ Watt, all right? And I think that's kind of the sentiment everywhere. But I also think when you look at what TJ's done here these last couple of years, what he's doing this year, which is right up at the top of sack leaders. He is in a defense that's really good in a system that's really coveted, that Pittsburgh Steeler defense, that mindset. And, and you know how important that is to the identity of that team. If he stays healthy, he has a better chance than I think people realize to be in that category of as good as his brother, at least from a stat standpoint because jj's missed big chunks of seasons and entire seasons and that has really hurt him now is he going to be as dominant maybe not but in terms of statistics and cumulative stats he has an opportunity but i do agree with you i think it's a hot take for now all right let's move on to the new orleans saints drew Brees with a punctured lung some bruised ribs i don't think there's any doubt he's going to miss at least a week we'll have to see how far this ends up going Hot take Tuesday, a serious breeze injury, Joe, ends the Saints' Super Bowl chances. Why is this a hot take? <sighs> well, I mean, I, I think what happened was yesterday we kind of were putting things together. And, look, I guess here's the question here. Anything can happen in the NFL. We all know that. But I think the idea is Drew Brees at some point does come back. What version of Drew Brees gets back here on the field? If we think Drew Brees doesn't play again this season. last year when he came back. Right. And I think that's the whole thing. Now, I guess the question is, where does it put them in terms of these next few weeks? How far do they fall potentially in the rankings of things? I mean, now, we don't have five buys. with Bridgewater. So, I mean, I, I mean, they I don't did. Know. They did. But Teddy Bridgewater this year has also played quarterback really well. And James Winston lost a ton of games last year for the Tampa Bay Bucks. And I mean, he lost. What a ton is their of games schedule? I suppose Bucks. that's more of the of the question. It, it is. But I, I guess I guess here's the question, too. Maybe this is don't a they play Atlanta question. This week? Uh, I believe so, yes. And, and I guess here's the big meta question to ask, too. These last few years, they've had some really disappointing, tough, tough losses. Someone bad calls and situations, someone fluke plays, right? Do you feel like this is kind of the end of the Saints window regardless here? Because Breeze now, this will be two years in a row where he's going to miss chunks of the season. Breeze is right. in his 40s. You know, is this kind of, did we miss the window there with the crazy game against the Rams that they weren't able to win, with the crazy games that they've had in the, uh, in the past year where they lose in heartbreaking fashion? I felt like that was their time. And you look at the roster, the roster is great, but it's got a lot of age on it. And I'm just kind of curious at this point, maybe that window is closing. Yeah, I, I would say that, first of all, in terms of the statement that we're going with here, a serious breeze injury ends the same Super Bowl chances. If he's out for the season, I think it does. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Uh, Taysom Hill may be okay, and and Winston, although he didn't look good, he'll finally get to practice with the team and with the first team. I, I would assume he'll play better than he did this past week. He didn't look good at all. 
But uh, beyond that, as far as the Saints, uh, like Breeze is a Hall of Famer, one of the top 10 best quarterbacks of all time. His legacy is, is in Cannes. He, he's, he won a Super Bowl with them. And and a, a lot of people thought this past year he would leave and go to the booth. It's probably going to be the end this year. And, and I don't know that it's the end of their run as making the playoffs. I think they're going to insert someone that's still going to give them a good chance to win. And I think Peyton looks like a pretty good NFL head coach. He's won virtually mm-hmm. every year he's been there. Yeah. But as far as winning Super Bowls, they've only won one anyway. So I, I, mm-hmm. I don't know that a lot changes. Maybe they go from a team that averages 10 wins to nine or, or, or nine wins to eight. But I, I don't see it that huge of a, of a drop-off because of the coaching. It seems pretty good. Yeah. To me. I look. Peyton, you know, uh, hasn't done it without Drew Brees yet, too, which will be fascinating to see how that that's changes true. over. Yeah, yeah. That, that's definitely true. He's put a lot in Taysom Hill. I know it frustrates a lot of people, but we'll, we'll see what that ends up being this week. Okay, finally, uh, let's go to the Green Bay Packers. Marquez Valdez-Scantling is the number two threat Green Bay has waited for. Mm. Do you want me to I got to tell you. I, I'll be very quick. Go ahead. You you can you can start it. Go ahead. I, I want to hear your yeah, thoughts. I think I, I know I think where you're going this with is a, This is a no. I I think it's a no also. But last two weeks have been good. Uh, friend of mine made a great comment. He called. He's he's like he is the uh, he's the <laughs> the generic brand Will Fuller. You know the guy who has a couple good games or catches the touchdown. You go okay. This is it, right? You know you've seen Will Fuller do that in the past, and then he gets hurt, then he disappears. Now Will Fuller twenty twenty has not been that Will Fuller. But I think it's a really interesting comparison. And I, and part of me is wanting to believe that it could be the case, that he could be developing into that number two. But is that also the reason? Do they believe it too, that that's why they didn't make a move for the real Wolf Fuller? Is that why the, the organization didn't make that trade? Is this why they did not go out there and, and, a, and draft a wide receiver in an incredibly talented wide receiver class? From, from their own evaluation standpoint, they're telling you he is. But it's got to be more than just two games for me, although these last two games have been very encouraging. I think that's where I look at it. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to give it, uh, you know, six more games. I, I've seen this guy do things in, in bunches, but not enough to, to say that, that's for sure. Okay, fantasy or reality, let's close it out here. The DeAndre Hopkins trade will go down as the worst trade, Joe, in NFL history. Is that a hot take? I think we even, it is. we even have NFL in there twice to show how big it is. In the NFL, NFL, in the NFL. Uh, I think it is, um, I think it's going to be up there when all said and done. But I think I will always put the Herschel Walker trade above anything else personally because that remade an entire organization and made them into a dynasty. And I think whenever you could do that, that's that's going to be the greatest hoodwink trade of all time especially because Herschel Walker at the time was a great player and then he moved to Minnesota and he was okay for a couple years but certainly not I think what they were anticipating getting uh I can't necessarily put the Brett Favre trade on this list either because you know I think at the time Brett Favre seemed like damaged goods right like Brett Favre was kind of like well this guy's got problems this guy's got issues he's got talent so even though he became Hall of Famer one all-time great quarterbacks I don't want to put that on the Falcons as one of the all-time worst trades some people do but this is going to be up there. I think when all said and done, it's starting to feel that way. Now, I think you have to use get to a Super Bowl or something close to that feeling or have a couple really great years here to make it feel like this is one of the all-time great trades. But already, the guy who made it doesn't have a job, and that only took a couple months after making it. And already, you're starting to look around and go, man, what a terrible move that is. And DeAndre Hopkins continues to be one of the elite wide receivers in the NFL. But for me, it will always be the Herschel Walker trade. How about you? 
I agree with you. But it's interesting, though, to see what Miami ends up getting out of this deal. That could change a lot of people's opinions. Like, if they take uh, Etienne from Clemson, their running back, and that guy becomes a mm. star next year, we may look back and say it ends up being the worst ever. We'll have more fantasy sports today coming up. Anyway. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com. And welcome back. Coming up at the top of the hour, we'll have our headlines, including Theo Epstein leaving the Chicago Cubs for greener pastures. What those... Maybe. We're not sure. We'll speculate on some of those coming up in about five minutes from now. But as we end this first hour of our two-hour show every day, let's end with a little fantasy sports trivia. Joe, what do we got today? Well, we've got uh, a little trivia about running backs making receptions because Alvin Kamara has been obviously dazzling this year. He is number two on the season, actually, still behind Stefan Diggs, but number two in terms of receptions by anybody. Running back, wide receiver, it doesn't matter. But it's been a long time, Craig, since a running back has led the league in receptions. Can you name the guy who was last to do it, the last running back to lead the NFL in receptions? And you do get a hint if you'd like one here uh, because no, it is let me, a, let me is try a to get, multiple choice. Let me choice. try to get it. Let me try to get it. And if I don't, then give me a hint for the second try. Okay. Okay. Very good. So I will guess Marshall Falk. Is that right? It is actually not Marshall Falk, but I think that's okay, a wonderful so give me guess. A guess then. Yeah. Uh, your hint is this happened in 1985. And if you remember the teams that were really good there, maybe a team specifically that really kind of created their own offense all the way on the West Coast, something that nobody had really ever seen before in terms of the way they used the oh, running back. Oh, was it um, Roger Craig? It is Roger Craig. Well done. 1985, Roger Craig. Good job, Craig, from one Craig to another uh, yeah, that's the guy, if you can believe it. Now, you know, it's funny, the last non-wide receiver to lead the league was 2004, and that was Tony Gonzalez. So it's, that it's been a long got. time here. That I, it's, I figured you would. That's why I pushed a little bit further, because he was the yeah, last non-wide receiver. Yeah. 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 I, I, I guess running back season when Marshall. Marshall Paul, you've had LaDainian Tomlinson, you've had some really Tomlinson, great that's another, really, that's another really good one, too. Yeah, he caught a lot of yeah. passes, too. Brian Westbrook was one that I was starting to think about, too. That was another was good guy, too, yeah. A mm-hmm. All right, top of the hour is next, so make sure you stay tuned. We'll have a couple of discussions about uh, the MAC tonight. I know Joe is all in on Kent State tonight, so... We're going to see how Crum does tonight, their quarterback there. And, of course, at the top of the hour, we'll also get into all the NBA news. And, unfortunately, for the Miami Hurricanes, no football game this week as well. So, uh, plenty more to come. Hour 2 is next. Stay on the grid. We'll be right back. SportsGrid.com. Betting insights and entertainment at your fingertips 24-7 as our team covers the most important topics in sports wagering. Real-time odds, predictive betting models, expert picks, and more. Want the edge? Then get on the grid. SportsGrid.com.